I had a great time this weekend. I got to play at Smoky Mountain Harley-Davidson in Maryville, Tennessee. Had a really big crowd, a lot of nice people, and the folks just treated me like a king. Everything was great. On display, they have this red, white, and blue jumpsuit that was actually worn by Evil Knievel when he was making his motorcycle jumps. And I grew up as a big fan of Evil Knievel when I was a kid. So I begged and I pleaded and I did everything I could to get them to let me try that sucker on and ride it around the parking lot on my Huffy Davidson. But it was no dice. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee, and I got my cat Frankie on my lap and it's just a beautiful day. This is a personal journal, this is a bit of an experiment, and I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Todd Snyder. Todd is a singer songwriter who lives right here in East Nashville, Tennessee. You can find out everything you need to know about Todd at toddsnyder.net. When I first got the idea to do this show, I had a short list of some people that I'd like to have on, and Todd was one of those people, but I never really got around to reaching out to him. But I got a text the other night from Tommy Womack saying uh, Todd would like to be on the show. And then just a few minutes later, Todd called me. He's like, Otis, I'd like to be on the show. And I said, I'd love to have you on, Todd. How about uh, we get together Tuesday or Wednesday? And he said, no, I got to do it right now. I said, right now? It's kind of late at night. He's like, no, man, uh, let's do it right now. I said, all right. So Todd came on over to the house with his buddy Brian and... Todd was feeling no pain, which he'll explain here in a little bit, but uh, he shared a lot of fun stories, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. We had a really good time sitting around the living room listening to his stories. Here's Todd Snyder. Uh, I forget what was the question, man. I mean, because mushrooms I like and ecstasy I've done been doing all day, today. I'm fucked up now. You wouldn't believe what your house looks like to me, man. <laughs> I'm tri- I'm serious. I've been tripping balls for two days. I was I was shrooming when I heard that tape of you and Tommy. I loved it. I'm I like him. I love him. You know. Uh, Tommy is first class people. Yeah, man. yeah. He's he's got a real deep connection to the center of the earth or something. You know. Would you like to describe my house, uh, what it looks well, like to you right now? these bats that are hovering over the top of me are uh, conspicuous. Is that, uh, what's that mean? What's that word mean? That works. No, I was, it's normal, I guess. Everything's kind of tracking around. I've really been getting into shrooms lately because I don't drink anymore. And then I met Chris Robinson from the Black Crows, and he was he'd just done this great show with his own band, and I was... 
so starstruck to talk to him, you know. And then I asked, you know, we the talk went to drugs pretty quick. And and I, I, I we were talking about the drugs we still did, you know. And he said he still shroomed. And I said, when, you know? He said, just before the gig. And I'd done that a f few times, but I never considered it as like a something to do every night or day, <laughs> you know, like pot. And that's the way he's working it. So lately I've been going that route. That's about it. Although somebody gave me some MDMA. Is that what I had? To, like I've had a bunch of that today and a bunch of uh, mushrooms today. Ecstasy. You know. I just got home from a long trip. But look, man, do I look like I'm about to drive a car into anybody? Shit, no. I've been home listening to Humble Pie and making up songs. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't hurting nobody. I ain't hurting nobody. Hey, ask, ask me what I'm up to. So what you been up to, Todd? <laughs> well, thanks for asking. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't normally love to just start telling people. Uh, <laughs> unless, you know, if you, unless you ask. Uh, but since you asked, uh, let's see. I have this list here. I'm, um, may, I recorded um, Why Can't We Be Friends with a band called The Turbo Fruits. And we're going to make a video uh, with a bunch. I think we're going to make a gay wedding video. Um, and then I made up a book. I made up 90,000 word book and it comes out for a company and everything. I don't know much about it, but I did it. I, I don't, I haven't named it yet. And then, uh, oh, my favorite thing is I joined a band called the hardworking Americans. We just finished down, we did it in San Francisco at, at Bob Weir's. It was actually Mill Valley. Bob Weir's got a studio, the Grateful Dead singer. And the band is Neil Casal from the Ryan Adams band and the Chris Robinson band. And Dwayne Trucks, Derek and Derek Trucks' brother. Um, he's a drummer. And David Schools on from Widespread Panic is a bass player, leader. And uh Chad Staley from a band called Great American Taxi. And um we're from the band, man. We have our own boots. Uh, this guy named George Bodecker, who you gotta look this fucking guy up. He's one of my favorite people I've ever found. He has that shoe with the holes in it, them fucking great shoes. If you look him up though, he got arrested, you know, for doing something hilarious. Looking for Taylor Swift in the woods or something. Do you remember? What was it? I'm sure that he was just being hassled for having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see. Hey, you can't prove Taylor Swift wasn't out there. You can't prove that Taylor Swift even is. I leave the man alone. But I really had fun. I might just be the singer because I'm supposed to go up to Athens and play guitar later, but I get the feeling I'm not going to be able to hang with those guys on the guitar. They think I can. Um, I just sang at the sessions, and my job was to find songs. So I didn't, have any, I didn't have any songs to bring. So I got like two Tommy Womack songs. Oh wait, two Kimbrough songs, one Womack song, a couple Kevin Kinney songs, Brian Henneman song, Chuck Mead and um, 
uh, who's that guy? Chuck plays with Dylan, Donnie, Chuck Mead and uh, Donnie. So uh, something I learned from Elizabeth Cook. Um, what else do we do? Kieran Kane song. What else? Gillian Welch song. And the record's called Welfare Music. And we're going to do like a two-month tour. You know, Lord willing, Creek Depth, all these things considered. You know, we have, hopefully we'll all live through today, you know. I like my odds. I'm, I don't feel good. You know, Brian looks a little, a little peakish. I saw Ray Wiley last week, yeah. and he said that you sent him a mixtape. I did. And... uh I'm curious, do you do that a lot? No, no, and I don't even know why I sent it to Ray, really. I love him, though. It's funny, I've been listening to him this afternoon. Uh, I knew he'd like it. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I knew he'd like that tape. It had a... Uh, yeah, I pissed on his car wheel once. I owed him. <laughs> I didn't know it was his car, you know. Or why I chose somebody's wheel in general. Just seemed like the right spot. Uh, he, he seemed upset, but that was sort of how we met, you know. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I, I had uh, some recordings of uh, what was on that shit. Have you heard that uh, Tommy Collins stuff? Oh, that's what it was. And then there was some Macy Skipper and um, weird uh, non sequitur kind of stuff. Uh, uh, Lately, I've been knowing it's colder in the summer than it is in the city, and it's hotter in the winter than it is in the country. In 30 days, I have November, April, May, June, and no wonder everybody else likes peanut brittle except for my mother-in-law, and she rides around a tricycle anyway. And like little poems like that. That was that poems by uh, Macy Skipper, I think. Well, just stuff like that that I collect. I sent a couple people that thing. Um, no, I, I I see Ray sometimes. Last time I saw him, I told him I just really liked his art a lot, uh, and I always have. You know, he wrote "Redneck Mother" for Jerry Jeff, uh, which I love. You know, I I always when I hear anybody say that they have a song, so like I'm sick of it. I'm like, well, I'm not. I love "Redneck Mother." Jerry Jeff and Ray Wiley are sick of it. I'm not. Oh, yeah. Uh, one time, um, he told me he was going to take me snorkeling down in Belize. And um, he says, you know, you flip off the back of the boat and you just open your eyes and it's going to be this beautiful, beautiful coral like you've never seen. So I flip out of the boat and open my eyes. And as soon as I open my eyes, I'm not exaggerating when I say surrounded by sharks and underneath me was stingrays i mean everywhere and so i was like this this can't be happening you know they weren't menacing but they were surrounding me and uh i jumped up out of the water and when i came up i could see him and he was laughing so hard <laughs> so immediately i thought okay I, i'm okay for some reason but there's still sharks between me and that boat you know and uh I uh, was like, what do you, why did you, what's happening, you know? And he said, look, it's, it was like I didn't notice till it was too late, and it was he had played this trick on me. It was like a little feeding area where they, 
actually have these sharks and stingrays that are very tame and people pay a quarter to go in there and look at them, but they don't tell the people that it's going to be coral. <laughs> Those people know already in advance uh, that the sharks aren't going to come at them. I said, what am I supposed to do? There's a shark between me and the boat. He said, swim at it. <laughs> Fuck. I think Jerry Jeff's version of Backslider's Wine is about as good as music oh, gets. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm listening to Jerry Jeff all day, too. I've been listening to all the oldies today. Actually, brings me to uh, uh, this book. I made up a book, and I haven't named it yet. Um, but all my stories are in there. And there's an entire chapter called Jerry Jeff Walker's Balls. And it's about the night that I saw his balls. <laughs> he was yelling at me, too. Not, not a, not, it didn't have anything to do with his balls. He just is a nude sleeper. And uh, I'd run amok in his house that evening and... He woke up in the middle of the night and had a chance to think about it and came out to the couch where I was sleeping. And he was yelling, never again, you little fucker. And I woke up and his balls were like a foot from my face because he's just standing naked in front of the couch. So I looked up and there's Jerry just fucking, you know, I don't like dick jokes or, you know, like to usually use that kind of thing to, amuse myself or anyone else but boy that was a hard one not to just anytime anyone asked me what what jerry just like i said i saw his balls one time and then they say really why he was yelling at me (laughs) (laughs) i like to leave it at that we took a shitload of drugs at his house though and i threw up fucking everywhere like a fucking jv guy but that was like 99 not really a coke guy. That night, you know, there was a bunch of it, and uh, so yeah, I over I overdid it and ended up uh, just being the fucking comet through the kitchen that night. Eh, I didn't like it. He told me I should get a, a sign, Christmas lights on my roof that just say sorry. And he said when you come home from your nights out, you just flick on your Christmas light. He said someone told him to do that in the 70s and thought I should do it now. My best John Prine story that I I got, I think, and it's the most telling, when people ask me what he's like, um, I tell this story, and that is, I did a tour of Europe with him. I can't remember what year it was, but uh, it was a long, you know, eight-hour flight, and then we got off the plane and somebody they sent somebody with a, a van to pick us up and uh jakes and and wilbur and myself and mitchell's bit small entourage like six people and um we get into the car and it's this 25 28 year old kid kind of cocky i think or you know a little a little excitable didn't seem to really uh, know who john was either you know or in, to my liking anyway, because I'm kind of a John snob. And um, 
Anyway, to make a short story long, this guy fucking starts barreling down the highway and Prine says, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going the wrong way. And the kid says, no, no, it's this way. And all of us were like, hmm. But as soon as he did, John went, oh, all right. And he opened up the newspaper. And like an hour later, that kid said, oh, shit, you were right. And we had just flown fucking forever. And now we're going to turn around and drive another hour after having driven an hour. And you could feel the fumes coming off the entire entourage, at least in my stoner brain. I was like, boy, you can almost see the steam rising in this room. And and again, this might have just been my perspective, but John, John didn't look up from his paper, man. And I don't... I, and at first I thought to myself, you know, you, you just can't knock this guy off his square. But the more I thought about it, it's deeper than that. It's like he doesn't have a square, you know? And uh, uh, it's hard to describe um, him, him because I think he's a very special, kind of a touched by lightning type person. I wanted to try to be like him and uh, learned in the two weeks, first two weeks of knowing him that no one was ever going to be like him. You know? But yeah, like it just, he just didn't, he didn't raise his voice. He didn't get ruffled. He didn't even breathe a weird sigh of weird anything. He just flipped the page of his paper and said to the kid, that's cool. And I know he wasn't holding it back. I'm certain from what I know about him that in his brain, he wasn't at that time saying, calm down, John. It's all right. You know, be cool to this kid, have compassion. He just was doing that. That's my estimation. It's just who he is. He was reading the paper, you know? Yeah. And the kid was, I fucked up. Man, we all fucked up. Eh, Yankees, don't you? You know? And I was, we were pretty tired and beat up. And, and uh, I'm sure that Dave Jakes and Steve Wilbur would tell you, too, that we were all kind of waiting for somebody to give the kid the old I told you so or do you fuck, you know? It, but it wouldn't have been right, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's uh, it's amazing to see. It, uh, well, it wouldn't have been right. Lots of people would have at least snapped a little. Yeah. Most of the people I opened for would have had no problem uh, being a tool to that guy, Yeah. I, I like to think I'm nice to people. John's an exceptionally uh, kind guy. He feel, he's, in my opinion, he's grateful for. He's he has a grateful heart. Doesn't he's not threatened by people. He's uh, I think one of the best things about living here in Nashville is uh, just seeing him at Arnold's. Yeah, I'm thinking, man, that's John Prine, and then two weeks later, he's playing at the Station Inn in front of 120 people. Yeah. And you get to be there and be part of it. He's a he's a great one. He's been good to me. He was very good to me for a long time. And then I had to leave. You know, I was with his company, but then I got I I couldn't not leave at a certain point. And uh, I think he understood. But I still, every time I'm around him now, I'm like, ah, sorry. But I had to do it. I would I would you know, I would have been a fool much. We were in the dressing room with that, is it called the duck room? And I play there. And um, 
And Chuck is probably my favorite, you know, or he's Dylan's favorite, and Dylan's my favorite. And the Great Twenty Eight, that's probably my favorite. That's got that's some that's that's some songs, man. That's some words, if you ask if you ask me. Uh, but uh, and uh, he came in and um, very quickly, I just naturally assumed that uh, he was coming in to say hi and that he was going to see me play. And I just had all these visions of him and I being friends. It only took me 12 seconds to formulate this future for us. And um, <laughs> I, he said, are you, are you the boy singing? And I said, yeah, I, and I am such a fan of your words and, and your songs, and I couldn't finish. He said, yeah, well, that's fine, that's fine. We need you to move your car, move your van. And that was it. And then so I said, can I take a picture? We'll do it another time. <laughs> and then as he was walking away, I was like, champagne count, you know, champagne shot, campaign champagne, was it? like a Southern diplomat. I was just yelling lines. And he and every time I'd yell a line as he was moving to his car, he'd yell, "Yeah, yeah, another time, another time." <laughs> <laughs> he was leaving with this white chick. She's pretty good looking, man. He had a big Cadillac. Old man looks like fucking Bill Cosby if Bill Cosby was a captain of a boat. <laughs> Dresses like a boat captain with a bolo. Got a good, got a good look. But I didn't know what to expect, you know. I don't give a shit anymore. I'm like a thousand years old. So if some fucker wants to film me, what am I, you know, they're my buddies too, 15 years. They said they're going to make a movie on me. I said, you know, you already did one, you know, and who gave a shit about that? We, I don't even, you know, my cousins don't even give a shit about them. <laughs> but I love them and they, they're fun, artistic friends of mine, I think. And I like, to watch their movies. I was like, fuck it, you know, come come down, you know. They 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 like to come to town anyway and just hang around and party, but then this time they were like they wanted to bring their cameras and their crew and 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 I thought they meant make a documentary, like a little one, and they were like, no, I think they wanted it to be a movie. And, uh, and then it would be a movie about me being home. I'm like that's not a movie. That's just a, a fucked up guy over drifters, you know. So I thought it was kind of a a, a, a tanker, you know. They'd been at it for a couple of days. I'm like, guys, fuck it, you guys, fuck it. Let's just have fun. What do we, you know? We're we're boring ourselves to death. And so we were out on the town, and somebody gave me some acid, and I saw Paul Griffith, and he's a little had been a little sick of the camera too. So we ditched uh, them. They're my friends, but they they deserved it. It had to be done. Uh, I have no regrets about that. So uh, me and Paul took the acid and ditched those guys. When they found us, we were um, rolling down the hill in Shelby Park, enjoying our lives. And uh, then they they found us and... Just as we were saying to them, this is fucking retarded. Just let's make a music video or something. Um, here came Elizabeth. She comes up with her dog. And I think that might be the real one. I don't know that it is because once we had that conversation for real, Brad and Todd asked us 
to have it again. And all of a sudden, it was like from there forward, it was a movie with directions. And it just, those guys are real spontaneous people. You And usually when they work with me, something goes wrong and they have to do something besides what they were going to do. And this was the exact case. But what started off was, was we'll be just be a fly on your wall and you live your life. It was boring. And then when I ran into Elizabeth and she told me, uh, I don't know if I said this already, but that she, you know, her Letterman thing, you know, she's got that, the old Letterman. She's trying to do a show and she's right in front of the camera. We gave her some acid and she, and she drank some wine with us. And uh, right in front of the camera, she starts telling her uh, tale of woe, you know. And all of a sudden it got interesting. And then uh, I thought, she was like, she wasn't sure how to get a show demo tape together, you know, of what she wanted to do. And I was certain that I could do it. <laughs> for no for no money. <laughs> and I told her I would do it for no money. And then I set about to do that. And once that became once they said this is what the movie will be, I was like, oh fucking great, man. Now I now this sounds fun. Film the fuck out of me. I don't care. I'll 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 go tr try to put a a show together. At least it's something to do. And uh I thought it came I thought it came out pretty pretty good. Although I think they're going to dial back some of the heroin jokes. And uh, maybe then that comedian, I think he told a bunch of needle jokes. and Maybe it was a little too druggy, I guess. You know, was I think what a lot of the feedback that they got. I don't give a shit. Once I agree to do something like that, it's none of my business no more. I do. I, I think it's a sweet movie. I, I didn't think I'd like it or I, I didn't like the way I look. I usually can't get past the way I look in videos to to even give them a chance, but my my it was my friends editing, you know, I had to watch it, you know, and I thought it was really cool. My favorite part of the movie is um, there's a moment where I come into the room and I say to her, "Look, I've got cue cards, and you said I wouldn't make cue cards," and then I realized that the cue cards I'm showing her are actual cue cards from her David Letterman demo thing. <laughs> And so, and that's why I love that they left that in the edit of the the actual movie we were making. Because at that point, I was like, "Is this even a fucking documentary anymore?" Because you guys just told me to walk in there with these cards and tell her, "Ha ha, I made cards, and you said I wouldn't." But I didn't make any fucking cards. You gave me these cards, and you know, like, and when I realized they were the Letterman ones, I said, "Can we stop for a minute?" And I asked her. I said, "Is this really the Letterman?" Are these the cue cards for the, the the talk show that you did right in front of fucking Letterman? And then she tells that story, sort of dismantles the premise of their whole movie. All of a sudden, you sort of realize it's fake, and it is fakeish, I guess. I mean, they were bossing us around and keeping us addled. Well, that's what they do every fucking time. In the end, that's how that's usually how film with them, right? Fucking assholes. I'll get them. <laughs> They'll see what happens. My revenge on them will be sweet and tasteless. <laughs> if I really had something to say to the young people, if I was going to be honest, it would be that in my experience, like from the very beginning of my career, all I ever heard about was how all the music business guys are dicks. And I just haven't met that guy yet. And I haven't been screwed yet. And I haven't been lied to yet. And that's 25 years now. I've had songs that didn't work because they weren't 
they weren't great. You know, they were. I've had singles and shit, but uh, wasn't anybody else's fault that they didn't. You know, those did more. You know, and um, you know, in my in my twenties and all, all that. But I I I have found every manager that I've had, I'm still friends with. Oh yeah, I would say uh, don't be so paranoid of those people. They're good people. They could be doing something else. There's there's easier money to get just about anywhere. You almost have to be as like big a dick as us to want to manage us, or you know, or as cool or whatever we think we are, you know. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess if I was really gonna give some kids some advice, that'd be that. You know, don't fucking disregard the non-musician people that are helping. Did I tell you I wrote a book? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Gonna be published in a company. <laughs> <laughs> They're called the Capo Press, man. They have an office. Gonna be a cover. And then I made the Hard Working American record that comes out in the fall with a tour in the winter. And then uh, later this summer, I'm gonna go to um, San Marcos, Texas, to this place called Cheatham Street Warehouse, which was the first place I ever played. And this guy named Kent Finley, who's my favorite songwriter, probably, you know, um, was running the place. It's like a real songwriter place. And he takes in songwriters, you know, that he likes and gives them a place to live and, and teaches them. It's like a college if you can luck if you're lucky enough to trip into it. And I did. And uh, he taught me how to make up songs and survive and taught me, you know, John Prine. He, you know, that's how I know all that stuff is from this old guy, Kent Finley, who writes these cool songs. And over the years, him and I have written about 15 songs together. And so I'm, I'm going to go to Cheatham, right, to the bar, try to record while the bar is open, just like Jerry Jeff did during Baby Terlingua, and just say to people, shh, we're about to try one, you know. And then... um. Like and Jack Ingram's gonna produce it, and uh, my goal is to have Jack help Kent make that record that he always wanted me to make, you know. Which in my mind is gonna be like a really, really sparse country record, which is what I want to do right now. So I thought that would be the best way to get it. I knew that this guy that taught me how to make albums probably probably wanted me to be kind of an old-fashioned type country singer, because he is, you know, and. He's not a pothead, and he's not into the Stones. Um, but I'm in the mood for some country, so I'm gonna. We're gonna go take a camera crew down there too, and make a documentary about his house and his club, and it's like a song farm, you know. It's it's like Manson family, except for it. It really is aspiring songwriters that actually are gonna probably not stab a bunch of people. <laughs> I mean, it could go that way. Even Finley himself has got a kind of a, you could see he's got that thing looking in his eye where he could go left. You know? But uh, I just am wanting to show, first of all, I want to make a country record, like a real country record with no twist. I don't want the songs to be corny songs about men and women. So I'm turning it over to my buddy Kent. Oh, and then if I, if you know, again, granted we all live long enough and all that, I got about, what, eight, nine new songs or poems. I'm going to try to talk that Chris Robinson guy into 
helping me record them. Um, he's my favorite right now, singer, songwriter. He's always been one of my favorites, but I saw him with his new band and just really occurred to me that this is the guy of our generation that I consider an ethical leader um, as a musician. And then also like, I've always in my mind separated the world into two places musically. There's like the world that Jagger's the king of and there's the world that John Prine's the king of. And really, if you think about it, their songs aren't that much different, you know. But I always thought of Chris Robinson as this great rock singer who could easily uh, hold his own with Rod Stewart and all these other people's words and songs like Van Morrison, you know, and I was like, yeah. But then when I saw him solo in San Francisco, it occurred to me like, that dude could walk into Guy Clark's basement with his guitar and play about three songs, and Guy Clark would go, motherfucker. <laughs> thought you were just a rock guy. <laughs> you know? And I have a lot of friends in rock, but I wouldn't suggest to them that they ought to sing their song for John Prine. Uh, and I think, when I just think Chris would fucking, he would knock John over. But people don't, you know, I, you know, he doesn't need as much attention as, as he probably ought to get. Because we're also, um, well, let's see, I'm trying to help make a record with Tanya Coe and, and uh, Dave Coleman. And I love the Coleman record. Oh, yeah. I like to give that a plug. That's coming out. But, uh, and, but um, the, the building that, that we filmed parts of that movie in, uh, there's a bunch of us that are trying to, and we'll probably hit you up eventually, is uh, uh, trying to take that building over and turn it into like a, a radio station slash rehearsal place where we can all store our shit and we set up an internet radio station in there that only plays East Nashville shit. Put a little store in there that sells our crap like a bar, you know? Yeah. I'd love uh, to be part of that. That sounds beautiful. That's what my wife calls another one of my grand schemes to lose money. <laughs> 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 but I think it's a, uh, I'm excited about it because I think, um, you know, this is a, a thriving artistic community. And the older I get, the more I appreciate youth and, and watching them come. And, and, and I'm, really excited about the young people here right now and what they're doing and i would love there to be a station where I, just as a fan i wish there was an internet station that i could tune on to and just say i don't want to hear any bands that aren't from my neighborhood there's, there's so many and they're all really very inspiring to me i uh yeah fucking amanda shires i married her and she's and I told her at the wedding I like the flowers on, that they had put in their hair. Next thing I know, my hat's gone. And then I bought another one, and then she came to the new tour and had a hat and had all these flowers on it. I'm like, all right, you know, I loved it. And then I got to the Jack Ingram Celebrity Golf Tournament that I fucking won. <clears throat> <laughs> Don't even play the fucking game. Thank you. Sports are for fucking pussies. I don't get jocks. Any fucking uh, wimps about drugs. If steroids helped songwriting, you and I's heads wouldn't even be able to get into this house. And we wouldn't think twice about it. I wouldn't think twice about it. Um, 
Anyway, what were we talking about? We were talking about that wedding. And I- oh, yeah. And then, uh, oh, Guy Clark's story. No, that's my Guy Clark story. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I didn't, I'm not a diverger. Um, so uh, that was just, I just saw him a couple of weeks ago at, at a thing. And he was like, are those flowers on your hat? Like in, a, in like a condescending kind of way. And I said, yeah. He said, why? <laughs> and one time I went over to his house and uh, played him a song. And he just was like, I don't get that one. I just don't get that one. It's like, oh, God, God damn, can I lay down for a minute? Can't we? I thought we were just going to be polite, you know. But that generation wasn't polite. They were really honest with each other. When I was a young guy, I made up 17 songs, and I gave them to John Prine and his manager, and they came back and told me there was one in there. Yeah. I threw out 16 songs over however many it was. started over. One time, uh, Keith Sykes took me to, before I made an album, he took me to this thing called the Whole Damn Family Band, and it was a guy and Towns and John and Nancy. And I was just shocked because it was a surprise. He was surprised me. I didn't know that's what that band was. It was like a little bar. And it it was interesting because they were, um, they were all getting fucked up in the, back room and shooting dice all the singers were nancy too like a fucking sailor and um towns was kind of melting down i don't even know what started me telling telling this is one of my other guy clark stories though Uh, and then afterwards i got to go me and keith sykes towns van zandt and guy clark john bryan and some chick dressed as Santa Claus, uh, went to John Prine's house. And you ever see that movie where they got that kid spider that gets shot in the foot because he fucks up the drinks? The mob thing. I was like the kid. I was like the ice. I made drinks, and they traded songs. That's probably my best Guy Clark story. That I just got, I got to sit in Prine's kitchen, and they were drunk, so they, like, when they, when one would hand the guitar to the other, they'd look at me and go, what do you want to hear now? You know? And I thought, I must, I, I must have done something good in my other life. That was it. But then Keith said, play him one of your songs. And uh, I played a song. I, took the, I put a capo on the second fret, and I played my song for those guys. I was about 24. And when it got over, Guy Clark said, there was a pause and then Guy Clark said, you didn't have to use a capo on that. You probably just could have done that in D. <laughs> <laughs> Never sang that song again. <laughs> I won't even tell you what it was. Two songs he's fucking knocked out of my fucking skull. But, you know, I still play the one that he didn't get. People yell for but I think that he's, you know... I I like um, you know, I come from that school, and he agrees. We talked about it. I said, you know, uh, after the wave of great rock from Elvis to Stones, Beatles, some people want to go all the way to Kurt Cobain, but I'd probably end it pretty quick. Dylan, you know, 
And then there was the, the little wake that went over into country music when you had Waylon and Willie and Guy Clark and Billy Joe Shaver. Or, or this shit that we do, you know. There was a time in this country's history where the finest minds of the time wanted to be what we are. You know, we're not that. I'm not, you might be. Uh, you know, this, the people that are, were gonna come along behind Guy Clark and be as good as Guy Clark are doing computer shit. Sorry, you're left with us, bud. <laughs> and we're doing the best we can. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate you stopping by and chatting, man. All right, uh, man, thanks for letting me do this thing. And did I say all the stuff that I t said I was going to say? <laughs> I think he wrapped it up fine, man. Yeah. yeah. You guys need a ride home or anything? <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Todd for coming on over and sitting around my living room and sharing some stories. You can find out everything you need to know about Todd at toddsnyder.net. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt. You can download any record I've ever made. You can uh, buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there. You'll get a brand new episode every Wednesday delivered for free. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.